that's the scary thing. And like, it's terrifying. And I've, I see the same things. And what's worse is I see people, their gut reactions on both sides is hatred. Like, you know, one of the things I, I wrote the other day is I'm so tired of telling people to stop being assholes to each other because like everybody else, I have family and friends who vote different than me. And so if I see somebody saying F them and I'm like, well, not F them, not, don't F my dad. That's my dad you know, right? I mean, it's so, there's this, anyways, this goes back to the social media thing, like, whatever it is in your life, like, we have to do a little more gut checking, we have to do a little more reality checking. Um, Trust is necessary. I mean, it's a human default, right? We can't exist without it. Um, But we have to police ourselves a little bit more, you know? Welcome, B2B startups, change-ups, scale-ups, and grown-ups. This is the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. Let's do this. Welcome uh, to a very special episode of the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. My guest today is Kate Bradley Chernus. She's the founder and CEO of Lately, which uses AI to automatically transform long form content like blogs, podcasts, and videos into dozens of smart social posts that optimize audience engagement. And today we're gonna talk about generating leads for B2Bs. Kate, thanks for agreeing to open your playbook. Hey, thanks Eric so much, great to see you. So let's start with a brief overview of what Lately is and how you're generating leads for your SaaS product. Yeah, so I'm the worst at describing my own product, so I'll, <laughs> I'll try. Um, but Lately uses artificial intelligence to unlock long-form content like a webinar like this or a podcast like this um, or blogs or videos. And what we do is we first assess your social channels and we look at the highest engagement of the content you've published and we build a white writing model based on what we learn your customers want to read, hear, or watch. And then we feed your long-form content into that model and apply it and then dice it up into hundreds of social posts that are pre-vetted, right? So that's the long story. Clearly, I need (laughs) to hire a marketer to shorten it up, but you get the gist. So do you have like a a bunch of Oompa Loompas that actually (laughs) read the... How do you do that? Yes. (laughs) They're my team and they're so awesome. Um, So so we do this. I mean, I was doing this manually, by the way. um, and, And I did it because I hate the idea of something we work so hard for, like like a show like this, to get wasted, right? To have just one shout out. It feels like we put a lot of time into this and thought and effort. Um, but the way we do it is um, through artificial intelligence and natural language processing. And my tech team automates this process so that you can push a button and it gets done for you most of the way, right? So we take you three quarters of the way and then you, the human, help out and get the AI to you know, all the way to the home run. So, so then you're using artificial intelligence, which means there's some sort of an algorithm. That's right. Yeah. And it's mostly ours, although we do um, integrate with like a few of the, the famous ones. So IBM Watson, uh, G3. Yeah. So, so when you're designing an algorithm for social engagement, what are the factors that you're considering? So for us, the human factor is huge. You know, humans, like we're doing this right now, right? Um, Humans can 
send a hug through a Zoom call. <laughs> Can you feel it? I'm doing it, you know? Um, and so we know that. And so we are very careful to make sure that the human has a role in collaboration with the AI to give the AI more of an opportunity to learn from the human. Um, so there's an opportunity for customers to curate what the AI is paying attention to, um, and then to also put their own spin on it. So that's super important for us. Um, and it's because we know that um, emotion is what a purchase is all about, <laughs> right? That trust. So um, I don't know if you've heard this stat, but um, the, re the number one reason for loss of sales is the lack of customer trust, right? <laughs> and so that's why it's so important for you to like me <laughs> and believe me, right? All, all the, of course, in this day and age, more than ever. Um, so yeah, so we, it's important to couple those two rather than separate them. But it, it's so esoteric and it's so subjective, yet algorithms are not, they're mathematical. So what, is there any sort of like hierarchy of factors that you're considering that you could talk us through? Yeah, um, so that's a really good point. And it's, it's more art than science, I would say a little bit here. And we lean on, on the, the art too, right? So there is, um, how do I say this? Because we consider the highest engaging posts, what people have liked and shared and retweeted, right? Now, if you're writing really nasty stuff, I mean, it's going to look for that more if that's what is engaging your audience, right? Which is kind of interesting. Um, but the AI updates every day, look, looking back at a year's worth of content. And so it's both real time and past. So it's constantly learning. And it's looking at different things, not only the words, like literally the actual words and word strings, um, but also your hashtags and your at mentions. Um, and then when you put the human part in there, that's where it's looking for that voice, right? So um, it's hard to get it to be, how do I say this, repetitive or boring because it's constantly learning and changing. But the other thing we've learned is it's garbage in, garbage out, Eric, right? So, I mean, if you, one of our customers reverse engineered the AI to this end. So he put a blog in, lately gave him 40 social posts. He thought these are terrible. And he's like, well, my blog must be terrible. So he rewrote the blog and put it back through the AI and he got out awesome social posts, right? Um, so, you know, I can't give you the, the details of it for, you know, some, a lot of reasons, but we look at the AI both ways to, if that's helpful to understand. So, so then, um, you know, I, I've been using the product. I love it. And the way it works, right, you put a link to a blog post and then it sort of gives you all these suggested uh, shares that you can post on a social media. You're saying that you had somebody that actually posted a blog post too lately, looked at what those shares were, and then went and sort of expanded or massaged or improved those portions of the blog post the whole then, blog the whole blog he rewrote the whole thing is that interesting because um sorry to cut you off <laughs> um and, and this is what i had done when i did this manually by the way so and so i love it it's because 
what he thought was, well, the word clouds inside lately are telling me what our customers care about, right? So this is the most important thing. And so he could see that and it wasn't jibing with what he'd actually written. So this is something we now recommend to all of our customers is to start in your analytics section before you have a podcast, before you write a newsletter um, and think about the information we're giving you. We're telling you right now, like, you know, why look at Twitter What's, ha- what's trending on Twitter when we're going to tell you what's trending with your customers. It's more important, right? More valuable. So, so then what you're saying is the way Lately works is it doesn't just look at what's getting engaged broadly on the internet. It looks at what your customers are engaging with on your social feeds and makes recommendations accordingly. That's right. And you can go, I mean, for the nerds in the group like me, <laughs> you can tailor that and learn very specifically like, okay, on Facebook, my audience likes this. And on Facebook, my audience likes this um, around, you know, Easter or this around Rosh Hashanah or this pertaining to gardening. Like you can get very granular with the AI. Interesting. So let's talk a little bit about the role of social media in the B2B lead generation process. Like what, if you said sort of from 10,000 feet, where does it sit in the overall social media mark in the, in the digital marketing plan? I mean, for me, it's it's number one. I believe num- first and foremost in organic marketing, um, in because we talked about the human and that connection, right? How important that is. So, and because I work with a lot of B two Bs and also small businesses, and I'm a small business, it's the easiest, cheapest way for you to make a dent, right? There's a long tail involved though, because there's time and effort, but the time and effort you put in is exponentially valuable. So for us, we don't do any paid ads or cold calls or cold emails, Eric. We only use lately to market lately, because when you know what your customers care about, why would you guess, right? And so what I'll walk you guys through the process too. And I used to do this manually, um, so I know it works because I used to have a an agency where I did this for people all the time, right? So I'll take this podcast. I'll ask you for a file, the hard file afterwards, and we'll run it through Lately. Lately will automatically transcribe the whole thing. If I want to, I could use that as a blog post, for example. But then when it tra- ta- when it takes the transcription, it's going to look for the best quotes, the coolest things that you or I said that it already knows our audience will respond to. And then clip those into mini movie trailers, so with the video, right? And then what I'll do, or I'll actually pass it on to my team, (laughs) they'll go through, add on some human touch, add on the human voice that we're talking about, learn from what hashtags we already know are going to work for our audience, and then schedule the content out. So like, instead of, if we get 100 social posts, we're going to do like twice a week for the next 50 weeks. Because What's happening now, this is so interesting, is people are producing legacy content in advance, right? You and I are talking as though already we know this is not going to be tissue paper in the wind. This is going to be valuable down the road. So if you think of the content you create beforehand, right, so then this works. Um, And then as we publish it out there on our brand and on all of my employee channels, we then um, watch to see who likes, comments, and shares our content, and we consider them warm leads because they are warm leads. They already know us. We've already reached them. And then we move them into a DM and into a demo. And for us, it's a 98% sales conversion. And I just want to say that for people listening again, 98%, right? 
um, it's always been 50% or above. And the reason is twofold. One, because the product is cool as hell. <laughs> Two, because we've set it up this way, right? I've made it so that you trust me. It's back to that trust, right? Because you've heard about me before. I've talked about some something that has already piqued your interest and I know it, right? And I've made you feel like it wasn't a sale. Is, is that a manual process? Uh, you know, how, how do you, I mean, I, I got to think that's, could be tough. Yeah. I mean, so the AI is doing the hard work, right? So it's, it's doing the hard work of publishing the content to get your attention. Um, but you're right. It is manual in the fact that we watch social to see what you do. Um, I don't think this should go away, frankly. I mean, there's a reason that Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok put so many automated restrictions on you, on all of us, because they want us to go there <laughs> as a human and, and play, right? So knowing that's part of the deal anyways, um, we like to engage with our customers as humans. And the reason we do this is because we make fans. We make evangelists, right? This is how a small company wins and it's how, how we win, right? Um, and so the effort we put in, the reason I treat you just like I would treat a large enterprise company is because I know that you're going to, um, you're going to bring in, you know, 30 other customers for me just by loving me, right? You know, uh, it's interesting that you say that. I was talking to the former editor-in-chief of Computer World this week for our sister uh, podcast, The Earned Media Hour, which you can get at ericschwartzman.com forward slash earned media. And he was saying he thought, you know, um, marketers who could get really good at analyzing the stats um, behind virtual conference platforms. Mm we're really going to be in the cat seat for the next couple of years because obviously, you know, trade shows and, and conferences are uh, shuttered for 18 months, if not two years and have a very uncertain future because, you know, much of what happens in a pandemic uh, is enduring. For example, prior to the last pandemic, they used to have spittoons in restaurants and they took the spittoons out of the restaurants because of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Well, guess what? The spittoons never made it back. <laughs> right. After right. they had a vaccine. So, <laughs> I, you know, you can expect a lot of business practices that were kind of foolhardy, um, that have transitioned online and, and, and are digital to stay online. But it's interesting that you talk about, you know, looking at sort of how people engage with your content on Lately uh, as, a, as a signal for the conversion from the marketing qualified lead to the sales qualified lead. That actually becomes less subjective, more objective. Is there any sort of scoring or analytics or reporting feature uh, on the boards now that you can use to do that? Or are you looking at that? We are looking at it. So, and, and you just sparked a lot of ideas. So forgive me if I don't answer the question directly. Um, Not the Splatoon, hopefully. Remind me. <laughs> no. <laughs> but my grandfather did have one of those, so I remember those things. <laughs> Disgusting. Um, so, <laughs> the, so the first thing I wanted to say, which you pointed out, was the conferences, right? So this is something I've been pro promoting for a long time, but again, the mindset is now available to, to accept it, which is also your point. So conferences churn out tons of content, um, 
whether it's COVID or not COVID, and still this idea of they're, they're really not adjusting. Um, everyone's trying to, but like, what's a... I mean, the, the solution is like a Zoom day, right? You know, and like, no one's really coming up with something better than that. Um, and regardless of what they do, the idea of taking the content and thinking about it in a way of how can it be after the fact marketing, right? So this is, um, and I'm going to get into your question too, but like, this is what I think of. I only think of after the fact marketing. I don't care about a promotion, like promo, promoing a show or whatever. We actually learned even for our own webinars to only do it really end of the day, day before, and then once the day of, because people just don't make appointments like that anymore. And they're more likely to get on later when they can, right? Just like everything else you do, TV and, and music and all that stuff. And so what's so interesting is marketing is just now learning to see this as the avenue, is the after the fact marketing, right? Um, so now to, back to marketing and sales, like I see them as the same, right? I don't see a difference between marketing I mean, marketing is only lead gen to me, um, and which is why we decided to not hire sales guns <laughs> inside lately. We only hire social animals <laughs> to VR salespeople slash customer service people, right? We're small enough where we've been able to roll it all up into one. And the reason is all the things we're talking about here, trust, um, the making you into an evangelist, bleeding marketing and sales together and focusing on it makes that number so much easier like i don't have to look at how many posts a day you know we're making or i mean for us like there's one kpi it's demo requests so all i have to do is focus on driving those through my lead gen which is my marketing and then rolling it up into um you know the, the sales team Originally, when social media, you know, appeared and we started using it for marketing, yeah. a lot of people were just basically sharing thoughts and other people's content through social media. But the way Lately works, in order for it to work, I, I assume, and I know that's how I use it, you have to share your own content, which means you have to have content to share, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's what it's for, right? It's for sharing your own content. So that's really part of it too, right? It's sort of a, a content marketing play. And then this is a way to sort of pull out the sh most shareable pieces of that content, like when you yeah. engage your audience. T totally. So it's, it's definitely your content or content about you. Like, so I don't have time to create my own content because I'm doing this CEO crazy thing, but like you and I are doing this, this is your content. It's earned media for me. Um, and I do a lot of these because this is our number one lead gen source. Right. Um, but you can also, or just think of a press release, right? So what happens with a press release? Someone writes an awesome story about you. And then what do you do with it? Usually nothing. Like, why? You shouldn't do nothing with it. You should share the heck out of that thing, you know? Um, but, but you can do thought leadership content as well. So we have a way where you can take um, anybody's blog. So if you, Eric, wrote an amazing story about marketing tips, I would totally run that through lately and use it as a way to leverage you, you know, in hopes that you would reshare it for me, right? And then to look smart. Got it. Are there any sort of um, uh, tips you have for aspiring thought leaders or authors who want to resonate better with audiences on social, grow their social following? How could they use a tool like Lately for B2B lead generation? You should just 
just where's the softball machine over there? <laughs> um, so authors are a great one, right? So this is an untapped audience of people who really struggle to do marketing and their publishers are usually, you know, not helping them out very well um, if, if they have a publisher. So we have a customer, David Allison, um, who took his book, Value Graphics, ran it through Lately, the book. So he, he copied and pasted the book into Lately and then Lately pulled out tons of social posts for him and he launched it on a Monday and by noon he was number one on Amazon's best-selling global list. Wow. Right? And, How many yeah. words did he move into Lately? Um, I think he was doing like the beginnings of chapters. So he would just take take the beginnings of chapters and then paste them in and see what came out. Um, so you know, he told me that he fired his staff of who he paid $3,000 a month to do this. Um, and he was constantly correcting their work. So, I mean, the great thing about Lately is it's your voice constantly, right? I mean, that's part of the deal. And so he loved it because he didn't have to do any editing. Um, and so we've been talking to a few other, you know, publishing houses about that because the unlock is what's so frustrating to me. Like, so do you, I know you cook, Eric, and I think I've used this metaphor with you before, but I love garlic and it is so hard to work for that. You got to peel it and all the things and then you have to chop it so fine. And like, if one little piece doesn't make it into the pan, I get mad. <laughs> and I feel that way about blogs, newsletters, podcasts, webinars, like, you know, don't waste a little. So uh, let's 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 play hardball. Okay. Right. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'll duck. <laughs> okay. So you know we're living through the age of disinformation, mm. and we're seeing the rise of disinformation. We're seeing, you know, a lack of critical thinking among a significant part of the U.S. population, yeah. impacting what people believe, undermining democracy at this point. So, you know, how has the rise of disinformation on social media impacted trust in these channels for business buyers? Yeah, I mean, it's, I got the bad kind of chills as you were talking because it's so, this is a very slippery, dangerous slope that we're on. When the, when the press, when the free press, like the, when facts aren't believed, you know, um, it's so bizarre. So trust is an, is an important thing. Um, the way that we've been working with, with that is by, um, you know, authenticity, um, really making sure that our customers and strangers know us as human beings. So that way um, it's easier for them to trust you know, what we're saying. And we encourage that with our customers as well. I think that what's so interesting, Eric, is that the U.S. trust factor has been placed much more on individuals than on brands and businesses, which is a, a little bit ironic, right? Because we're all more likely to like not trust a brand, but not right now. Um, overall, I think that the it's so hard. I mean, the if you don't want to be perceived as fake <laughs> or a liar or, you know, right, or anything less than authentic, you really have to lay it on the table. Um, so one example is um, pick, pick a CMO that you know at a large company and look at their Twitter feed or their LinkedIn feed. Chances are it's pretty plastic, you know, um, and those are individuals, right? And so 
I look at them and I think, wow, you've got this magical, huge microphone and you're doing everything in your power to like not show us the way, right? But then there's a guy like Gary Vaynerchuk, who's like as authentic as all get out and, and people trust and love him, you know? So I think my recommendation, by the way, on that would be warts and all. You know, that's how we do it. Um, it but it's a slippery slope, you know? I think the best thing you can do is ask people, do you believe me? Uh, Talkwalker just released their 2021 social media trends report, predicting mm -hmm. the top 10 social media marketing trends mm -hmm. for 2021. Uh, Talkwalker is a social media analytics platform. And you can download the report at ericschwartzman.com forward slash Talkwalker. And the number one trend for 2021 is socially conscious consumers. Mm -hmm. So many of the topics that had been taboo for brands in the past are exactly what consumers want to engage with brands about namely mental health, uh, inclusivity, social justice. I mean, these are the top three things that consumers want to engage with brands about. Wow. So are, are you saying that you think that um, as a result of what's happening in government right now, that uh, brands are actually rising in trust? I've seen that. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it's sort of weird because we're all, we're so removed <laughs> right right now. And I feel like it's easier to trust familiar things in a way. So whether it's, um, I was just thinking about, I think it was the Gap commercial where they uh, had all these clothes that came together into a shape of, I think, a child or something like that. And they were talking about giving clothes away. Um, and then we have ads. We have companies like Dove, right, who show real women's bodies and have been doing that for a long time. Um, there's something happening right now just because of the energy of the world where the familiarity of a brand feels safe because it's one thing that we know, right? Coca-Cola is not going anywhere. <laughs> Is that so bizarre? Like, um, yeah, I don't know why that is. It's just how I, I feel. And I, I see that around other people too. We, we need something to not change. <laughs> we did a, uh, a 2021 uh, email marketing best practices episode. Yeah. That's online now as well. And uh, one of the things that um, Jay Schwedelson, who was talking to me about email marketing, said is he thought that um, the uh, rumors about uh, mail-in ballot fraud would undermine uh, direct mail marketing for at least the next six months, if not longer, that it would rebound, but that as mm. a channel for marketers, it would take a hit. What sort of residual effects do you think Trump's election fraud claims will have on marketers' trust in social media as a channel for marketing? You know, so real quick, by the way, um, I had ordered something from Etsy, and during the those days of the election, she emailed me, and she's like, I'm just going to hold off sending this to all the ballots are counted because I don't want to <laughs> overwhelm the mail system, which was so interesting, right? Um, but... Uh, oh gosh, I, you know, it's weird. Like we were, I'm going to relate this to, 
I'm going to try to take that down to something that's that's happening to us personally, and then kind of get into it, get into it more there. But so we have um, we've been working with Gary Vaynerchuk, and he's talked about us publicly online, and all of a sudden, this has happened for a while, but all of a sudden, we're getting um, a lot of requests from people who really just want to talk to Gary through us, you know, they want to meet Gary. And some of them are genuine and nice, and then some of them are kind of freaking us out a little bit, <laughs> to be honest with you, right? And we've had these conversations. Now, I was in radio, as you know, for a dozen years. My last gig was broadcasting to 20 million listeners a day for XM Satellite Radio. So I have experience with dealing with all kinds of fans. I, I have actual stalkers who I have, you know, legal uh, orders to stay away from me. And I have, they're just all, you know, really nice people also. Um, but we were talking about that phenomenon and how do, how do I teach my team to handle this? Because there's people now that they seem trustworthy. They're coming through us through, you know, channels where we work all the time. And like when I was on the air, you have to answer the phone. That's their job, right? I'm, I'm trapped in this position of where I have to trust that, that you're going to be, you know, not freaking me out. Um, and that's not the case, but it, it's so interesting because our own methods that we use tried and true, they're not being turned against us so much, Eric, but it's like now something, um, you know, we have to check every new friend request. Okay. Make sure that they're at least connected to us by like, you know, 30 other people at a minimum, um, check their do job titles, look at their experience to see what's filled out, check on Twitter, see who they are a little bit before you accept the request. So, so we're having to make some, um, more, um, safety measures, I guess you might say, you know, around that. Um, and I think this is not, I think it's in parallel because this didn't happen to us <laughs> before, you know? Um, and my, I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words a little bit because I'm scared. You know, are you scared? No, I'm not scared. No. I mean, well, like I, I, you know, the only place I really talk politics is personal Facebook account. Mm-hmm. Although you know, once in a while, I will take to Twitter, but I, I I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, vanilla on uh, LinkedIn, mm -hmm. and uh, on my personal Facebook, you know, which is I don't know how they got on there, but I have a troll. I have a like a <laughs> I hear it's a Russian troll because I can tell by the by the uh, way that their the English is phrased that mm -hmm. they're got, that they they're not a native English speaker and they sound sounds to me like they're Eastern European uh, native language. And, um, you know, the stuff they're posting is so silly. And we've been having fun with them because we've been sort of doing a takedown with, with whoever it is. And it's funny because, you know, they only work like an eight-hour stretch or a 12-hour stretch. <laughs> like they go, and then they come back the next day. And they – so, no, it doesn't really scare me. Um, what's, I, it doesn't scare me for myself. Mm -hmm. But what scares me is when I see people I know – People who are smart, people who I love, yeah, buying into this stuff, yeah, that freaks me. I mean, I I don't get it, and I'm not sure if it's lack of critical thinking skills. I mean, the stuff I'm seeing shared from some people is just so ridiculous. Yeah. And then you know, I guess 
what what fascists do is they rock our faith in all media, you know, and so now people consider, you know, PBS to be left wing, you know, when in fact it's just media. I mean, these are media outlets that have a process for yeah. gathering and reporting news that involves more than just one person thinking about how they're either going to sell soap or get you to vote for them, right? And they're <laughs> trying to tell a story here that they, they're trying to be objective. Now, I get that objectivity is a goal. Mm. We all are colored by our upbringing and our past. I got it. But at least they're trying and at least there is a process in place. And that seems to not be understood anymore. Like people are able to look at the New York Times and say, oh, that's just fluff. When in fact, I mean, that is a news organization that has reporters and editors and fact checkers and uh, you know, uh, uh, people producing the imagery and other people writing the headlines. And they're working together to tell a story and they're trying to net out both sides of the story through this process of journalism. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't think that's appreciated. I think, you know, like Breitbart can put together a story designed to spread misinformation. It's specifically designed from one point of view to do that. And, uh, and it's seen as equal. And it's like, I get, you know, that there is a value to conservative media and to having media that would be written by people who have conservative values. I'm cool with that. Sure. Go to the Wall Street Journal, go to the Christian uh, Science Monitor, uh, read the Atlantic. I mean, there's good outlets out there, but we've muddied the water now with all these sort of propaganda machines. And there's, it's like, there's no truth anymore. And the result is yeah. we have undermined the foundation of our democracy. Yeah, I mean the, that's the scary thing, and like it's t it's terrifying, and I I see the same things, and what's worse is, um, I see people their gut reactions on both sides is hatred. Like, you know, one of the things I I wrote the other day is I'm so tired of telling people to stop being assholes to each other, because, like. I like everybody else. I have family and friends who vote different than me, and so if I see somebody saying "f them," and I'm like, "Well, not f them. Not don't f my dad. That's my dad," you know, <laughs> right? I mean, it's so there's this. It's anyways. This goes back to the social media thing. Like, whether it's whatever it is in your life, like we have to do a little more gut checking. We have to little do a little more reality checking. Um, trust is necessary. I mean, it's a human default right we can't exist without it um but we have to police ourselves a little bit more you know um and that's hey, I, I didn't i don't think you know this about me but um what? i was a special communications advisor to the Kerry uh state department during right. the run-up to the COP climate conference in Paris. And wow. I, was re I was their advisor on social media communications around uh, that negotiation, which involved analyzing at the time through the Salesforce product uh, mm -hmm. what was being engaged geographically in different areas so that when the negotiators sat down with the ministers from other countries, they knew what issues around climate change resonated in that geography. For example, cool. some people are concerned with wildlife. Some people are concerned with the Arctic. It's very, it's a pretty broad topic, mm -hmm. right? And, um, you know, you think about kind of where we are today. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you think that 
we should be looking at this type of information, the signals, the social signals that are online to develop our strategy as communicators, as marketers. And are we at a point now where, you know, I used to leave politics out of it, but at this point, you know, I feel like I have an obligation to defend my democracy. And so I've actually come out of the closet. Like I never talked politics ever. <laughs> And now, you know what? I'm talking politics because I feel like, uh, you know, the integrity of, of our democracy is at stake. Do you think it's time for brands to take a stand along political lines? Yeah, um, I, I, I don't know. But here's what I definitely know is that um, it's absolutely up to us, the the others, the non-politicians, to do the work right now more than ever before we have to do it my my the church down the road has a sign up right now it says love thy neighbor yes them right and there's a guy down the road with a lot of signs on his his lawn and they say Cuomo and they're they're pretty hatred oriented you know and so this church is totally talking about this guy which i love that and i Here's what I know. My neighbor next door votes different than me, but I love her. They, you know, her husband died and we went to their funeral and they've invited us to all their family gatherings and like, you know, I'd do anything for them. So it's hard because, yes, we need to stand up for what's happening. But at the same time, we have to remember that like, I don't know, we all want the same things, Eric, you know, like everyone I talk to, when you talk to them and you ask them about their lives, it's the same, right? We, but then when you put it in a context where people don't have to take ownership of it because they're behind the screen of social media or it's on TV or it's being spun or whatever the hell it is, then that's where all the anger and hatred and the division comes, comes across, right? So, um, yeah. It's, it's funny because, uh, you know, in RevOps, uh, we talk about aligning sales, marketing, and customer success against common KPIs. And right. you just said we all want the same thing. We all have the same KPIs. So yeah. should we be focusing on the KPIs? Yes, don't you think? I mean, what, what is, I mean, as Americans, for sure. I mean, what is the KPI? I feel like it's to be, you know, we all want a house and a place to live and, you know, obviously a decent wage. We want to feel safe. We don't want to be killed by this crazy virus, right? And we all want to be led. We do. I mean, there's some weird out fringe people who don't and they should go to another country. But like, we want leaders. That's how we work as, a, as beings. You know, we don't, we don't thrive any other way. We have to have a leader. So um, I guess one of the things I've learned from this pandemic and from the racial crisis, though, mm -hmm. is that, you know, uh, white privilege wants to remain white privilege. Yes. And I think it, it, it's important for us as two white people to acknowledge that, that there's a lot okay. of white people that don't want to see their power diluted and they want to have the upper hand. You know, there's yep. that book out now. Oh, God, we're really going off field here. But <laughs> it's fun, though. <laughs> there's the book out now, White Fragility. Mm -hmm. And I heard the author interviewed on my favorite podcast, On Being, with Krista Tippett. And um, 
she was very poor as a, as a kid, very, very poor, the author. Mm -hmm. And she said one time she was with her, she didn't have enough to eat. She went to bed hungry a lot mm -hmm. of times. She was raised mm -hmm. in the South. And she said one time she was at a park and there was someone who had left food behind on a picnic table. Like someone that was eating their meal, but then they left and they left the food on the picnic table. So there's food on a picnic table. And when her mom wasn't looking, she went to go get some of that food off the picnic table because she was hungry. And her mom slapped her hand and said, don't you eat that. Oh, wow. Colored people could have been eating that. And her impression Whoa. at the time was, okay, white privilege Whoa. about me feeling better. This is a way for me to be superior, even though I'm poor. Wow. I'm better here. And that, I think, really is sort of the basis of, of, of white privilege, this idea that, you know what, we've ruled for, forever and we're going to continue to rule. And, I mean, that's kind of where voter suppression comes from as the demographic of the nation changes, right? There are certain yeah. people, white people, who want to stay in charge. Yeah, I mean, and it's, I mean, that's the color, that's a color-free thing, right? Like, so people... People hate change, especially when you're on top. You know, that's always been the case, right? Um, and I've found, by the way, as an adult growing into my parents <laughs> in that way, because you know, now I own a home and I have my own money and these things, and like, I don't want people to take away from me. But you, and I still have the values of wanting to help my neighbor, but I have found that like, it's the difference when I was in a cab in San Francisco a couple months ago and I was asking, it was the Uber driver, I asked him who he would vote for and he said, oh, that Bernie guy seems like a great idea. Like, you know, all, he wants all the stuff. And I was like, and I'm from Vermont. I was like, Bernie? No, dude. <laughs> this is my opinion. Um, but it was, it was just funny because like this is, you know, your values change. Um, and I think like as far as the racism issue goes, it's so... It's amazing to me, like to watch the um, the Great Bit Great British Baking Show, right? So on that I show, that show, it's a great show. Check you get to check out of life with that show. I feel because, and I love that they're doing it in the uh -huh. pandemic, anyways, right? And do you notice this? I I don't feel, and I'm I'm coming from a white perspective, which is you know, uninformed, but I feel like there's no racism on that show. And here's one reason why everyone talks the same. Do you notice that? Like that's a big um, racist thing in America is that white people and uh, black people often talk different, right? Do you know, well, the funny people thing make is judgments now, you know, that. white people try to talk like black people. Particularly young yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. And what, you know, that's just, it's just one of the things that triggers all the, you know, racist things, but there, there it is in the great British breaking show. And everyone seems to me, I mean, I'm sure there's racism in, in Britain, um, but it seems that there's this great mix of people and, and everyone's on the same level, you know? So, um, awesome. Well, yeah. I've taken enough of your time. I know you have a company to run. Where can people go to learn more about lately? You're awesome, Eric. Thanks for the opportunity to just be real. Oh, are you know? kidding me? I, I'm like thinking, I'm sitting here thinking, man, I should make her my co-host. <laughs> Good. Like whenever I have you, there's such great conversations uh, and I so enjoy them. Thanks. Yeah. And I uh, thank you so much. And I, I hope, by the way, we're expressing, we're walking the talk that we're talking about to other people and hopefully people 
watching can understand like, this is one way you can do it, right? This is the one way you can make the difference by being authentic. Right. It can be real. You know, you don't have to avoid socially conscious conversations. Yet They don't right. have to be taboo. Right. You and, just want and, to engage around them. And worry about saying the wrong thing. Like I, I, sometimes I used to worry that just bringing it up at all would be wrong, but it's important. We have to do it and on all these topics, politics, you know, racism, whatever it is. You know, I was led down that road by Cheryl Proctor Rogers, the former president of the Public Relations Society of America, who said to me, Eric, you got to do a podcast about racism. And we had on the show Cheryl, we had uh, uh, Rosanna Fisk, we had uh, John Iwasaki, and we talked about racism in america uh for an hour i think and i joined boy, that okay. I, I, I learned there. so much and yeah. i was scared because i said to cheryl i can't do this cheryl you have to host it i can't do it i'm a white guy i can't do it she said no you have to do it and so god you know wow. i've learned so much about uh, social yeah. injustice and racism as a result of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I didn't yeah. know shit about it before. And no, I'm not going to mark explicit on this podcast <laughs> just because I said the word shit once. Okay? <laughs> not deal with it. One thing that I wanted to say here um, before we go is my, my friend Jen actually reminded me, it was a different context, but I think it applies. Um, we were talking about women in the workplace and, and women having you know, more senior titles and those kinds of things. And she said that, and she, she reminded somebody, she's like, it's not just putting more women on a panel. You have to have the people who are in power on the panel also, because we can only be lifted up by the people who are at the top whatever it is, right? So they have to be included in the, com white, white guys in this case, have to be included in the conversation, right? That's why. So where can we that. learn more about Lately? Ah, cool. Um, Lately.ai is us. I'm, I'm Kate Bradley Chernus. So you can find, find me anywhere. Um, Lately AI, Kate Lee, they call me Kate Lee. And I'm pretty friendly. <laughs> Don't ask me to meet Gary V. <laughs> Other than that. And thanks so much, Eric. I really, I'm really glad we're friends. Awesome. Great catching up with you. Thanks for listening. This is Eric Schwartzman for the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. See you next time.